Amen. Now you're here this morning to hear the word of the Lord. Yes. Who's here to hear the word of the Lord? I'm not going to disappoint you. Just going to bring you the word of God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, over the last few weeks, we started to work in the book of Acts. And as you remembered, I said to you that sometimes we're going to go fast and sometimes we're going to go slow. Guess what? We are still in the first few verses of the book of Acts. So we are going a little bit slow. But today I want to talk to you about being witnesses unto Jesus in the world. What does it mean? It is a great opportunity that when we preach through a book verse by verse, that you can oftentimes come to topics that you can talk about. And more so today's topic is very important. It is important for every single person in this place today. I want you to listen today. If you're a child of God, if you're blood washed, if you're saved, I'm talking to you. If you are not, I'm also talking to you. Because once you get saved, there's an awesome, a great responsibility that comes upon your shoulders, which you're going to hear about today. I'm going to open up the Word and I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to take you through the Scripture and to speak to your heart today. So if you want to open up in the book of Acts, we are in Acts chapter 1 and in verse 6. I love it when you open up your Bible. Back in the day before I used to do preaching from a PowerPoint presentation, when I say open up in your Bible, then you could hear through the church the pages going. That's the most beautiful sound in my ears in a church. If you can hear the pages going through and you open up in your Bible. Amen. Are you ready? Here we go. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. He says, Therefore, this is one of those great words, like the word but... This is an application word. Whenever you see this word in the Bible, you need to read and understand what is before or in front of that word. So I'm not only preaching to you, I want to, to equip you that when you read your Bible, that you understand how the Bible has been put together. This is why I call out from time to time these words to you. Like the word but, sharp contrast. This is one of those other important words in the Bible. The word therefore. You need to ask the question, what for then? And you can't answer the question after therefore if you don't understand what is before therefore, so that therefore is therefore. You get that? So Luke writes down now, he says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, this is Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. Two weeks ago, I preached about this kingdom. This is the kingdom when Jesus will reign from Jerusalem. It is the millennial kingdom they were asking about. It's important that you know that. It's important that you sit here today and you know and understand that Jesus Christ is coming back. Who believes that? Put up your hand quickly. And, and not only that He's coming back, but what is He coming to do? I'm not talking about the rapture. We know in the rapture He's coming on the clouds and we will meet Him in the air. But what these Jewish boys and men were asking about was the kingdom which all the prophets in the Old Testament were writing about when that kingdom was going to be established in Jerusalem. Let it be known today 
that God is not finished with Israel. Let it be known today that the church has not replaced Israel. That is called replacement theology. I don't preach that in this church. Israel is chosen nation by God and He's got for them a purpose and a plan. The purpose for Israel in the Old Testament was for other nations, Gentiles, to look upon a people, how a sinful people can approach a holy God. There's the whole Old Testament for you. If you understand and remember that and you read through the Old Testament, it will open up way more for you. Israel is God's peace, people to show how a sinful people can approach a holy God. You read about them, you see when they go up and when they go down, when they are victorious and when they lose, you see when they're happy and when they're sad, all of those are written as a shadow, a shadow of the substance which is to come, and His name is Jesus. If you stay within those parameters, you will not err in your reading in the Bible. We do not replace Israel. No, no. We are grafted into. You understand that word grafted into? You understand that word? We are just a little tweak that has been put into the tree. They make a small little cut in the tree. They open it up and they put this tweak. They hammer it in there. So what happens? This tweak, doesn't matter what, what nature it is, it starts getting the sap, the life-giving sap from the tree. And that sap goes into the tree and that makes that branch to prosper. That is who you and I am. That is who we are. We are grafted into the olive tree. So I want to make it clear here when they ask him this question and he said in verse 7 so beautifully he says and he said to them it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority full stop. Everybody understand what a full stop means? No negotiation around this. Yeah, but Jesus, it will be profitable for us to know the times. Why then? Because if we know the times, we can prepare for that. Yes? This is how some Christians want to live their lives. Tell us, Lord, when you're going to come. So that we can do whatever we want to do, as much as we want to do, and have fun. Doesn't matter whether it's sin or nothing. Because we know here is a date when you're coming. And when we get close to that date, hey boy, I'm going to clean up my life. Doesn't work that way. Full stop. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times nor the seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. Now, there are some people who proclaim that they know exactly when the Lord is coming for the rapture. There are some people who know exactly the date and the time and the hour when He's coming in His second coming. I want to say to them today, not to this church, I want to speak into the camera if there's some of them listening to me. You are but deceived. Oh, there's signs. The Bible says there's signs. We can read the signs and know that His coming is near. Who knows that His coming is near? We can see that, but there's no man, no man, who will be sit down and give you a day and an hour and a minute and a second when He's coming. And whoever they write those books and you buy those books, you're wasting your money. Those books are not even worth to make fire with them. The best place for those books is the rubbish dump. 
In fact, no, they should actually burn them because somebody can go through the rubbish dump and get them. So, then we come to our verse this morning. And I pray during this week about this verse. And I want the Lord just to open up your understanding about this. Because I've heard this verse being quoted so many times without understanding, without putting it into context. And my prayer is today that the Holy Spirit through me will put it into context in verse 8 because he says that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is a proclamation from our Lord Jesus Christ. That is some of the last words that He told them before He ascended on high. They know about you, but the last word you say is sometimes very important. When they came around Him, He said to them, You shall receive power. To be what? Everybody say that word. To be witnesses unto Me. You see that? And this is what I want to talk to you about today. You shall be witnesses to me. He's talking to you today. He's talking to me. You thought you were saved just to come and sit in church and wait for heaven to come. No, 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 no. You were called into the body to do what? To work. This is not an holiday. This is not Kumbaya forever. No, no, when the Lord saved you, He saved you for a purpose. And then you thought, wait, the only thing that I need to make is make the line so that I can go to heaven. And I'm going to wait for the pastor to put me in the wheelbarrow and push me into heaven. That's not my job. That's not my work. No, no, my work is now that you are sitting here and you are saved to equip you with the Word of God so that you do what? Become fat? I love it when my sister said on Friday evening to, I think it was to Brother Mark, you, you were saying that we're getting fat with the Word. Is that why God saved you? Just to come to church on a Sunday morning and sit here and smile for an hour and two and then go home and go on with your life? Is that why God saved you? Are you serious? Are you kidding? Are you, is, is that it? To walk out of here and say, whoa, preacher, today's sermon, wow, that was just on the money. Is that why God saved you? Is there satisfaction in that? No. I served the Lord for so many years now and I read the Bible so many years now and I read some books as well. But you know what? You get something and you go, whoa, I'm on a high now because I, now I want more and I want more and I want more. No, no. You get satisfaction when you receive something and you give that something to other people. That's when you receive satisfaction. When we were small children, we love it when we get gifts, isn't it? It's my birthday, and the only reason why I'm inviting all my friends is because everybody's going to bring me a gift, yay! I love to receive gifts, but then we grow up and we realize it's much more satisfying to give somebody something than to receive it. Is that right? So now that you've received salvation, what are you going to do with it? Young man, young woman, old man, old lady? Well, I shouldn't say that because I'm falling close to that now. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about being a witness because Jesus said to them, You shall be my witnesses. 
The word here for witness in Greek is the word martyr. That's not the right spelling of it. It's M-A-T-Y-R. Martyr. That's the word there. And martyr means those who prove the strength of genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. Everybody say death. death. That's what a martyr is. I'm going to read that again for you. Okay, It's one definition. It's not the only definition. It's those who proved, who proved the strength and the genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. This is what a martyr is. And we're going to learn in the next couple of weeks about such a martyr. His name is Stephen. We're going to read about him. Stephen was a young man. He had his whole life ahead of him. You know, if, you, if he was living for the world, you could say he is a very clever man. He's a very switched on man. High aspirations for him in the secular world. He's a man who's got ambition. He's still young. He could stand here and say this morning to this old church, I've got my whole life ahead of me. I want to get a, a job. I want to have a career. I want to have a wife. I want to have children. I want to have a car. I want to have a home. That's Stephen. He was a young man. But here is the difference about this young man. The Bible says that he was full of what? Full of the Holy Spirit. That changed his view on the world. How wonderful is it if you take somebody so full of themselves and the Holy Spirit comes into their lives and changes them. And then they become different. This young man started preaching the Word of God. He went out. He wasn't afraid. He took on the establishment. And we're going to see a little bit about that in a minute. He took on the establishment. He preached the Word of God in spirit and truth. He wasn't afraid. And then he turned to these people and he says, You all, you all do the unpardonable sin. What is the unpardonable sin? You resist the Holy Spirit. We'll come to that in a few weeks. And what did they do? They pick up stones and they kill him. What was the satisfaction for Stephen? He looked up in front of him and he says, I can see Jesus standing. Not sitting, he was standing next to the Father, and he died. I read of another man called Polycarp. Have you heard about him? Some of you? This was an old man. He was 85 years old. He had his family. He had his little farm. And they came and they said, Everybody need to bow the knee and say that Caesar is Lord! Reject this King, this Jesus. He died on the cross. He's weak. He couldn't even raise an army to defend him. Reject that man and come and say who's the real king. It's Caesar. It's the king of the day. And this old man was living on his farm. He was well known in his areas. was well loved. 85 years old. And they came to him. They sent the soldiers out to his farm. They said to him, Polycarp, please, please. We all love you. The town loves you. You're such a gentle man. Why don't you just say, you don't have to mean it in your heart, Polycarp, but just say it over your lips. Just say that Caesar is king. Reject Jesus Christ. And he would not. He would not. They said, Polycarp, are you going to lose everything? Everything you've worked for. This farm, the people who love you and everything. 
He would not. They sent soldiers again and this time they were more serious. And they took him from his farm, put him in, in, in chains and they took him into the town. And on the way into the town, people were crying out, Polycarp, we love you. Just say it. Just say it. Just once. Just one time. Say to the people that you don't follow Christ. You know, I was talking on Friday night, the words of Pilate. What would you do with Jesus who is called Christ? Polycarp decided to trust in him. They took him into the town and put him on a stake. They were burning Christians those days. This is not a myth. You can go and read about Polycarp. It's a true story. They put him on a stake and while he was on the stake they cried out to him. They gave him the last opportunity. They say, look Polycarp, we are serious. You're going to die here today. If you do not reject Christ, you're going to die. And he was standing there and they put all around him. They put him against and they were just about to live. Would he, would he deny Christ? Would he cry out and say no? And this is his recorded words they say. They say, what have you got to say for yourself? Because we're going to kill you now. There's no turnaround. He said these words, he said, for 80 and 5 years, 80 and 5 years, my Lord has been faithful. And I will be faithful. And they lit that fire. And they killed him. That's what a martyr is. That's what a martyr is. I want to ask you the question this morning. What does it mean to be a martyr today? Does it mean, and I've heard so many times, you know, if I come to you this morning and I say, will you die for Christ? I bet you 100% of people say, of course I will. But here we sit in Caram Downs, Australia. It's still free to, to preach. We don't get persecuted. And then we read something. We read in China, they caught this pastor. They burned his church down and they killed him. And then I ask you the question on the back of that. I say, will you do that? And you say, of course I will do that. And I say, don't answer so quickly. Don't answer so quickly. You see, because when we read this verse, and we say, we will be witnesses, we will be martyrs for you, Christ. That's the first thing that comes up in your mind. And sometimes we say, yes, when it comes to the point, I will die for him. But the question is, brother and sister, what about today? Are you a martyr for him today? You see, it doesn't have to be a physical death here. It doesn't have to be a physical death. And that's what I'm going to show you now. You say, because this is so far from me, preacher. This is back in those days. This is in China. This is in Iraq. This is in Iran. I'm sitting in Australia. Hello, have you noticed? And it, and it means that some of us might die a physical death or a natural death before we get martyred for what we believe in. So how can this apply to me? So what? Let me give you the so what. What does it mean to be a martyr today? First of all, it means to be a living sacrifice. I'm talking to you now. I'm not talking to people in China. I'm talking to people in this church. Paul writes down in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. He says, I beseech you brethren. The word they beseech is, he's sort of begging them. He begs them. It's like me coming to you on my knees this morning and say these words of Paul to you. I beg you. I beseech you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Everybody say present. Present. 
you present your bodies a living, everybody say living, yes. sacrifice. What does that mean? Can you all just put your hands in front of your mouth? Don't be shy. Do that. Come on, everybody. Everybody just put it up. Come on. And blow. What did you feel? The breath of life. You're still alive. <laughs> he says a living sacrifice. It doesn't say wait until you're over the hill. You know that expression? You go when you're young. I still want to live my life when you're in your middle ages like me. Okay. Well, I'm on an entry into that middle ages. You go, yeah, there's still time for me. In my old day, man, I will give my life to the Lord. And then he can do with me whatever he wants to do. No, no, no. He's talking to you today. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You see, when he says you need to give your bodies as a sacrifice, it means we bring our bodies to God's altar. That's what it means. And listen, this is now after you are saved. So I'm not even talking. If you are not born again yet, let's do that first. Let's come to the cross and be saved. But after that, you bring your body to God's altar. You come to God with your body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 20, Paul writes about it as well. He says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in what? Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. I love this verse. And there you were thinking your body belongs to you. Who do your body belongs to? It belongs to God. And he says here that we need to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. That means, yes, that when you become a child of God, you need to look after this body as God would look after it. And that will keep you away from sin. That will keep you away from abuses that abuses your body. We're not praising this body, but we bring this body as a sacrifice to the altar of God. What is going to happen at a sacrifice? Something is going to die. Yes? Abraham! Yes, Lord, here I am, speak. Abraham, I want you to bring Isaac, your son, the one whom you love, your only son. I want you to bring him and sacrifice him for me. Now, when God spoke to Abraham about sacrifice, did he think, oh, Isaac and myself is going on a nice holiday. Is that what he thought? We're going to the Bahamas, we're going to the sea, we're going to the mountains, we're going to hang out together. No, no, when God said, Abraham, sacrifice, Abraham knew something is going to die. That's what sacrifice means. And now, I love this, it's like a paradox. He says, bring your bodies, your living bodies to the altar of God and offer it to God so that you can die in yourself. I've got a scripture to back this. You've got to die in yourself. The world don't want to hear this. No, 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 no. That's weak talking. No, no. The best of yourself is to make yourself strong. No, no. Here it comes and say, give your body as a living sacrifice on God's altar. Now, how do we do that? Holy and acceptable to God and this is our reasonable service he says 
The words here, holy and acceptable, talks about born again. I'm not going to talk about that today. I take it that you understand and know what born again means in this church. But this is how we bring it to God. Listen to me. Listen to me. You can't make yourself holy. There's only one who can make you holy and it's Him. It happens at the cross. And acceptable to God. You can't make yourself acceptable to God. Only He can. And now it talks about this is your reasonable. And I love again the Greek. Because that's where we find our word logic from. The Greek word is logikos. Did I say that in a good accent? Logikos. He says listen to me. This is the only logic for you as a child of God. This and nothing else. This makes sense in my word, in my terms. If you get saved, you don't just sit there in church. You come to the Lord and you take your living body to the Lord's altar and you say, Lord, here is my body. I sacrifice it to you. That means, God, you can use me in whatever way you want. Because now I belong to Him. And then He turns around and He says, that's the only logic. The only logic for you and for me is to do that. This is not my ministry. This is not my church. This is not my pulpit. This is not your church. This is not your ministry. This is not your... No, no. Everything belongs to God. Listen, my brother. The talent that God gave you to play that guitar so beautifully, that's not yours. No, no, you had to come to the altar and offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And then what happened? Now He's using you, He's using you for His purpose and plan. The problem today is, in churches, in some churches, is that people want to forward to God in this area. And they say, this is what we will do. This is our vision and this is our statement. We haven't got something like that here. No, no, our vision is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And then He will be the God and the King of the church. Yes, that is what it is. So the first thing to be a martyr today is to bring your bodies as a living sacrifice. Are you ready to do that? Are you willing to do that? Before you quickly say yes, listen to the second one. Because the second thing is you need to take up your cross. You need to take up your cross. Luke chapter 9, 23 says, Then he said to them, this is Jesus, If anyone desires to come after me. Can I see who wants to come after Christ? If anyone, he's talking to you, he's talking to me. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now listen to this. What's the first thing you need to do? Deny himself. And I want to just give you some teaching here. Deny self. Self-denial and deny self is not the same thing. And this is where some people get it so terribly wrong. Because they all read that word up there as self-denial. Self-denial means to give something up for a short while. Or to give some activities up. You know, fasting can be one of those. If you fast, you are in self-denial. You deny yourself to eat food. That's not what he says there. He uses it differently. He says deny himself. That means you need to surrender ourselves to obey God and to obey His will. Can you see the difference? Don't get caught up with this. 
This is why I absolutely love to go to the Greek. Because brothers and sisters, whether we like it or not, we are reading a translation. Our English Bible is only a translation from Greek. But if you go, and I'm by far not a Greek scholar, honestly not. I just love it. Okay, I just absolutely love it. I pray someone say, Lord, just ting me on the head so I can just speak Greek. <laughs> but, but here it is, brothers and sisters, if you understand and you go and look at them, then you will find how English sometimes we read and we try to work it out. No, no, this is not self-denial. We need to dis- deny ourselves. That means the whole capacity of your life and your body you hand over to God. Can you see how these scriptures flow into each other? When he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know what Paul actually said to them? He said, deny yourself. That's what he said there. You sacrifice yourself to God. But you see, that cost a price. Which so many Christians don't want to pay. They say, no, 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 no. That's too much for me. I'm not that person out there. I'll just sit in church and go, that's great sermon, pastor. We're going to heaven. That's not why God called you. But let's come to this one. Take up your cross, David. Do you understand what it means? You see, some people, when I talk to them, they say, yes. I'm taking my cross up, man. I've got a pain in my body. Or I've got a sickness in my body and that's my cross. Or I've got relationship problems and that's the cross that I'll have to bear with. Or I've got young children and they disrespect me and that's... It's some kind of thing that happened to a Christian and now we're walking around and say, Brother, tell me about your cross that you are carrying. Oh, yeah, 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 you know my family so tough, you know. And, uh, and what about your cross? Yeah, I've got financial problems all the time and all of these things and so on. And what about your cross? Yeah, it's my health. And all of these things is self-inflicted. Look, don't get mad at me right now. Wait until after, okay? Then you can come and talk to me about it. But all of the things that we happen with is self-inflicted. Your finances is self-inflicted. Your health is self-inflicted. Every single thing that we go through is self-inflicted. But that is not carrying your cross. That's not what he meant there. He didn't say you're going to have a tough life. So what did he say? Let's go back and put it in context. You see, the cross in Jesus' day was a terrible thing. It was a terrible thing. And we don't understand it in the Western world, but if you walk in the streets those days, and you talk about the Roman cross, this is what it was, everybody would shiver with fear when they mentioned the cross. Because that was a horrible instrument of death. But what did it represent? If you were going to go to the cross, it's just not an irritation that was going to happen. There is some significant things that was going to happen to you if you had to go to the Roman cross. First of all, it was an opposition. Let me explain. So that when you were doomed to go to the cross and die on the cross, you had to walk with one of those beings. Don't get confused with Mel Gibson's movie The Passion, okay? Don't get confused with that nonsense. But you, had, you were strapped to the beam, the cross beam. You were already strapped to that beam. And you had to walk 
through the streets with that heavy thing and with discomfort and with blood pouring down because they've beaten you up, with hair coming out, with everything. You had to walk through the streets with that beam and people would stand around, people would look at you and they would look at you in opposition. They would shout at you, they would swear at you, they would spat at you. That is what the cross meant. It is the agony of walking through the crowd as opposed to them. Are you with me now? It is in opposition to the Roman government. So if, if Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Why? Because you need to deny yourself to be able to carry that cross. Because you need to be ready to be treated like a criminal. I'm talking to you now. Christian, child of God, are you really sitting here this morning to be treated like a criminal, cr criminal because you're a Christian, a child of God? Are you? Because he's talking to the Christians here. He says, you need to pick up your cross daily. But the problem is, when people come in opposition with you because you're a Christian, you start complaining. I hear that. Oh, they don't like me. Isn't it right? The world is in opposition with you. Have you noticed? Yes. Can we all just stand up and let's complete the sermon in the car park of Bunnings? Will you come with me? First of all, they will all come out and there will be some people coming over and say, What are you doing here? We are in opposition to the world. That is the cross. Take your cross up daily. Be ready to be in opposition to the world. Don't be surprised when they call you in one day and they say, hmm, we noticed on social media you said this about Jesus Christ. Are you still standing on it? Yes, you're fired. Are you ready? That's taking up the cross. Now the cross has got a different meaning to you, doesn't it? It's not just an irritation you have to come over. The second thing as you walk with this, with this beam on your shoulders through the streets, they strip you naked. Naked, no clothes. You, these pictures which you see where they've got Jesus with a, a little discreet clothing on, that's rubbish, that's nonsense. They strip you naked. And that is shameful, isn't it? I mean, who would go and walk naked through Bunnings right now? We take it so easy these days. We say, yes Lord, I'll take up my cross, but we absolutely don't understand what it means. The first opposition we come, we bemoan our fact, we go on your knees and say, Lord, they don't like us, please take them away. But He said, take up your cross daily, and you said you will. It's shameful. Be ready to be made a shameful person. Are you ready? When they come to you, and it's not true, but they shame you for being a Christian. That's what the world's doing right now. Are you going to cave just to be in with the crowd? Hey, Polycarp, just say it, just say it, you don't have to mean it. Hey, just say it, you know, just, just to be in the group. Just say it so that they think you are. No, no, you need to stand your ground to be shameful. And then the cross in those days was suffering. 
Do you think walking with that stick on your, or that big thing on your shoulders and being poked and thrown at with stones and spat on and, and, and you know, taking it up and then they put you up there and you hung there. Do you think that is all romantic? Come on, do you think it's romantic? But that's what they show us the cross these days. It is a romantic place. You know, we focus on the victory of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, but it cost a price. It wasn't romantic. My Lord suffered there. You know, <laughs> I preach a sermon on this because I read up about it. You hang there for six hours in agony. Six hours that you can't breathe. That you have to push up on your legs so you can just get one inhale and then you sack again. And by the time you hang there on the inside, because the tendency has been pulled for so long, it starts bleeding internally. This is why they speared him in the side. You say you're so intense this morning. I have to be intense. Because Christian child of God, you need to understand what carrying the cross of Christ is. When he says, you'd be my witnesses. And did you ever thought it goes so deep? Be ready to be persecuted physically or even socially. You know, we've got it so easy. We get social persecution. Facebook, I'm going to unfriend you because you're a Christian. Oh, they've unfriended me. That is so terrible. We don't understand. We don't even understand the cross of Christ. Yet I hear so many Christians as easily just flip it off. You need to carry your cross daily. Yes, I'm carrying my cross daily. I work at this place where they swear every day. You know, they, they use the name, Lord's name in vain. And that is my cross. That's not your cross. The cross of Christ, he says, when those people who swear turn to you and tell you to swear and, and you say, that is my Lord and my Savior. He's the lover of my soul and I will not do that and I will stand on that and they start persecuting you. Not to run to your Bible study group then and say, oh pray for me because these people are so tough on me. No, no. If you say I'm carrying the cross, that is what you're going to get. Now, if you don't want to be a Christian anymore, by all means. The door is there and I'll pray for you. Because this is tough. You won't hear this sermon in churches who try to fill the seats, do you? But it needs to be heard. Finally, what is the cross? It leads to death. It leads to death. What does it mean in our day and age? It means, are you ready to lose everything for Him? You know what is cancel culture now? Have you heard that word? Or the woke brigade? Have you heard that? Come on, I'm talking to people. Have we heard that? Yeah. That's what's going on. Woke brigade, cancel culture. If you say something we don't like it, we're going to cancel you. We just cancel you. Do you know how many people are so afraid of that? They fear that more than they fear my Lord. No, no, the cross of Christ, when Jesus said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Can you now understand what deny himself means? And it's not self-denial. He needs to deny himself, take up his cross daily, daily, every single day, and follow me. It encompasses all of these things that you, as a child of God, need to be ready to be ready to, to do. Now look at this. If we look at self, 
if you deny yourself and you come to the first one and you ask self, self, are you ready to be in opposition with the world for the faith you're standing in? Self is going to say, no, no. I want to be in with the in crowd. But I need to deny myself. If you come to self and say, are you ready to be shameful? No. Self will say, no, no. I don't want to be. I want to hide in the crowds. If you say to yourself, are you ready to suffer or even to die? Will you be ready to do that? Selah. Think about that. Did that change your view of the cross this morning? Did that change your view of reading this verse this morning? When I first understood this in my life, I said, Lord, I can't do it. I just can't. I'm just honest to you this morning. I'm not as brave as you to say, wow, yeah, bring it on. No, no. When I realized the full impact of carrying your cross, <laughs> the Lord knows me. I prayed to him. I said, Lord, I just can't do it. I haven't got the strength. <laughs> this is where it gets better. This is where it gets good. Because brothers and sisters, you and I will not be able to do this on our own. This is why he said, but, brother Oro, what does but mean? Brother Oro, what does but mean? But. But. Yes. Yes. That big theological word. You are more clever than most theologians if you understand that word. But. <laughs> Hallelujah. You shall receive. I said to the Lord, I can't. I looked at myself. I said, Lord, I'm a strong man, young man. I was going to say that. All my life I worked on this body. Pump iron, do it, press, look after myself. Yeah, I'm strong, dude. But hey, man, I can't do this. What is this, Aaron? Then the Lord said to me, but that's why. You shall receive power. You shall receive dunamis. That's the Greek word there. And it's so lovely if you break the word up. I know I'm breaking up. But this is why, why I absolutely love rather the Greek. Because the Greek, let me just tell you something about it. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's not just the word up there. Those words are put together by sometimes two words. Okay? And if you break those words down, oh man, you go, Jesus, down. I mean, you can lose yourself just in the language of Greek, okay? Thanks God for that wonderful language. And if that language is spoken in heaven one day, praise God, I'm going to speak Greek. But let's not go there. But here is the thing about this. Dynamis is where we find our word dynamite and dynamo. You remember me saying that. But let's break it up again. Because here I am saying to God, Father, I haven't got the strength to do what you're asking me to do. To carry the cross. And he says, but you will receive dynamis. What does it mean, Lord? If you break it up, the word dunamis comes from two words. The first word is duna. You know what that word means? It means the ability or the capability. And I say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah! Sorry for being so loud, but not. <laughs> why? Because, listen friend, this is why the cross of Christ is so important that you come to the cross and be saved. Because you are a poor pauper before the cross. You've got nothing. You've got to do all these things on your own. But boy, once you come and you are saved, He gives you the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And with the Holy Spirit comes the dunamis power. And He gives you the capability and the ability to be able to be able to carry that cross. So now I'm not sitting here and worrying what's going to happen next week if somebody calls me in or worrying if they grab me down the road and say, Crusader Jesus is dead or I'm going to beat you. I don't worry about that. I don't worry how I'm going to react when somebody says I'm going to kill you if you don't denounce Christ. I don't worry about it. Why? Because at that point in time, what's going to happen? I'm going to be careful. What's going to happen? Dunamis! Hallelujah! I hope you see this, brothers and sisters. I hope you see this because this is the essence. The essence of your Christian life. You're not called to just sit here. You're called to carry the cross. It's a heavy cross to carry. But praise the Lord for dunamis power. It's the ability and the capability. You say, I'm not able... Oh, but brothers and sisters, He will make you able. He will give you the, the, the ability to perform miracles. That's what it means there. Now, as you know, and I'm going to put it onto the timeline in a minute, I will explain that. So I'm giving you the instruction to be a witness. Now I'm giving you the power. And let me then just finish off with saying where this power is coming from. It's not just a, a wind or electric plug. It comes from the Holy Spirit. You shall receive dunamis, the ability from the Holy Spirit. Now let me quickly go through this. In the first chapter of Acts, the first few verses, three times already, Luke writes about the Holy Spirit, Acts 1-2. Until the day which He was taken up, after through the Holy Spirit He had given them commandments. Acts 1-4, and being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart. Why? Because He said to them, you have heard from me, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. You see, Jesus knew, for them to carry the cross, they need the Holy Holy Spirit. Acts 1 8, our verse. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In the first eight verses, three times already, there is a direction to the Holy Spirit which will give you the power. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that neat? He doesn't leave us orphans. Finally, this morning, let me finish with this. We know now we need to be witnesses, we know we've got the power. And now we need to know where we go. We go to the world. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit come to you. And you shall be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Look at our timeline. Remember, the book of Acts is a transitional book. We're going to talk a lot about that. But I have to lay this foundation. Acts chapter 1 to chapter 7 happens in Jerusalem. They were preaching to the Jews. To the Jews. This is where it comes. He says, in Jerusalem. And then he says in Acts, from Acts chapter 8 to 12, they go to the Gentiles. They go into Samaria. Into Judea. Samaria, by the way, 
was a hated people to the Jews because they were mixed, they had mixed blood, the Sumerians. This is why John chapter 4 is so interesting for everybody. Jews were not allowed to go into Samaria because the Samarians was the people who stayed behind when the Babylonians came and took the, the pure blood like they called him away. But the Samarians stayed behind and they intermingled with the Gentiles. They, they married into other bloodlines. And the Jews saw them as defiled. But now he goes into Samaria. Nay, they're Gentiles. And we're going to see Philip preaching to those areas. And Stephen to the Jews. And then from Acts 13 onwards, it's to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. And here we sit today. Praise the Lord. Here we sit today. We're going to see how this transition works right through. Where will you be a witness? Let me explain to you just quickly. It works like a cup. You know, a cup of tea. Who loves a cup of tea? I come, you come to my house. And I come to the front and I put it on the table. And here's my cup and my saucer. You know a cup. This is why I use tea, eh? Because you drink tea with a cup and a saucer. You know? You drink coffee with a mug. Yeah, I'm a coffee man. I, I, I must admit. But if you've got the cup there and, and you've got the saucer there and you put it on the table. This is how that works. If I start filling the cup with tea. And I keep on filling it. And keep on filling it. And I don't stop. What will happen? It overflows into that saucer. That cup is you. You need to be filled up. You can't give people anything if you haven't got it. And as you overflow, who's going to be the first ones getting it? Your family. Your husband, your wife, your innocent. That's the saucer. And now I continue throwing in tea. What happens if it goes over the cup and the saucer? It goes onto that table. That's your friends, your family. You're extended from your mom and your dad. And by the way, it's those who are going to bring you to account on the cross that you need to bear. That's a different sermon. But anyway, it goes onto the table. That's your family and your friends. The ones who are close to you but not as close as your family, your, your brothers, your, 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 your sons and your daughters. And I keep on throwing in and it goes onto the table. And what happens then? It starts dripping off the table on the floor. That's the end of the earth beautiful picture but that's what it is that's where we need to be witnesses